house, could you stand up and give a big old hand clap of praise to God for the power of his love and that we are in the house today. Thanks be to God. Yeah, yeah. You may be seated. You may be seated. And I want to say something to those that are online with us right now. I just want to look straight at you and let you know uh, we are not forgetting about you. Uh, for some reason or another, you live geographically in this place, in our area where you could come here, uh, but it's not the right time for you. For whatever reason, uh, we're not forgetting about you. We love you, and uh, we're making space for when you're ready, we'll be ready, uh, but we're going to keep on making this online the best we can. If you live far away, and somehow or another, you connected with us during this pandemic or before. Uh, in fact, we even have a meeting this coming Wednesday morning uh, at 9 a.m. with some of our team uh, just to see, cast a little vision on how we can do online better where you feel connected with us wherever you are so you can be a part of the church. So I just wanted to reemphasize that to you that uh, we're not forgetting you, but those that are in the house, I got to tell you today, it's really good to see you. <laughs> it's really good to see you. And, uh, and I want to say thank you to those in the house and online. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, thank you for your generosity. Uh, thank you for your continued giving and your continued serving. And your continued participating in worship the best you can uh, through your homes. And modeling faith for your families and your children and just your friends. And witnessing and sharing the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, the church has not been closed. The church has just left the building because you are the church. And uh, I'm just humbled to be a part of you. This morning we're starting a new message series, uh, the Love Playlist. We're going to be doing a study of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want, if you have your Bibles or you want to find that on the phone, your app, you can go there. Uh, we're about to dive into that. When you come into worship, if you want the hard copy Bible, you can bring one. There's one there. We're not going to hand them out. You can just grab it and bring it on here with you. When you get finished, take it home with you if you don't have one. Or you can just leave it right there on the chair. Somebody will take care of it later, get it all clean and all ready for worship uh, next week. But before we dive in, let's uh, begin with prayer. Uh, here we are, God, your people, uh, your daughters and your sons, your children, princess and princes, children of the king. To declare that you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. You are the, the promise keeper. And we bow before no man or woman. We bow before no institution. No organization, God, we bow only and worship you because you alone are God, you alone are good, you alone are perfect and without sin, you alone are almighty, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the one who has delivered us, who is delivering us and will continue to deliver us. You are God. And you are the source of life. You are our hope. You are our salvation. You are our lifeline. You are the very air that we breathe. 
and we worship you. And we come here, God, to hear a word from you. Uh, we assemble from all over, God, from all parts of the world, different states, different communities, and even some here, God, on the site of this place we call Pathway Church itself, asking you to speak, that we might hear with virgin ears an old word, but may it jump off the page and give us new life. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with some questions. My questions are things maybe you've asked yourself, but I want you to ponder and wrestle with it, the questions of life. Uh, if, you, if I was to ask you, what is the purpose of your life, could you tell me? What is the purpose of your life? If I was to ask you, why do you exist? Could you give me a good answer as to why you exist? If I was to ask you, why does Pathway Church exist? Why is it here? If I was to ask you, how are we going to measure success? How do we know this church is being successful? How, how can we gauge and measure it's doing what it's supposed to do? Could you give me that answer and could you give me a good answer? Why are you here? Not here on this earth. Why? It's the question of all questions, right? It's at one point what everybody comes face to face with to try to figure out. And as someone who's a follower of Jesus, I have come to believe this book answers that question. And it answers it well. Now, I, I am one who has come to believe this right here is this thing we call the Bible is the inspired word of God. And there may be some of you here that are not sure if you believe this book is the inspired word of God. And if you're here in the house, you're in the sanctuary, you're in the ark, or you're watching online and you stumbled upon us, you're just kind of scrolling through uh, YouTube or Facebook or some sort of a, a social media site, and you stumbled upon us and you go, man, I don't even think this thing really is, the Bible is real. I just think it's a book. It's somebody, I want you to know you're welcome here. You are. But I and many of us here are just some folks who've come to kind of believe that this book here called the Bible it holds the answers to the questions of life. That it's really the inspired word of God. And God tries to answer these questions that we have just raised through this book. And it may, it's kind of confusing to some. It still doesn't make sense to everybody. And it kind of gets kind of convoluted. But here's some ways that he answers this in, in this book. In Luke chapter 10, this guy comes up to Jesus. And he asked, he said, Jesus, can you tell me how to live a good life? What was, how to live really a good life forever? And Jesus put it like this way. He said, yeah, I can. All you got to do is love God with all you got. And just love your neighbor as you love yourself. Then there's a guy named John who uh, recorded a bunch of things that Jesus said. And right, right before Jesus went to the cross over in John chapter uh, 13, uh, Jesus says these words, hey guys, this is how I want you to live your life. I want you to do, this is what I do. And he says, I'm going to give you a new command. It's brand new. Here it is. Ready? Brand new command. Before I die, brand new command. Love each other. The way I have loved you. Love each other. And, and then 
he kind of adds a little bit something to it in the very next verse. He says, and, and in fact, I'm going to tell you, this is how the whole world is going to know who you are. This is how it's going to be the one character that separates you from the world. This is how people are going to know that you're my follower. By the way you love one another. And then John, later on in his life, he's older, wiser, more complicated in his thinking. His theology, he tries to explain it in another way. First John chapter 4, over in verse 7, he says, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And then he flips it. Whoever does not love, you really don't know God. <laughs> and then he makes these four little words here uh, that just totally were radical back in that day some 2,000 years ago that someone actually say this. He said, here's the, I want you to know, God is love. Just reduce it down to that. Now, Peter, who is also a disciple of Jesus, he writes his own letter, and he kind of takes another grain, takes it another direction. Over in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, he says, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. And then Paul himself, the Apostle Paul. Now Paul, uh, he was not around uh, very much uh, when Jesus was starting his trek. He starts following Jesus after the resurrection. Uh, not the same time of John and Peter. He kind of waits a little while. He's a slow learner. Anybody besides like Paul, like a slow learner? It took him a while. And he finally has this encounter with Jesus. And when he has this encounter with Jesus, his, eye, his eyes go, whoa. And he starts talking about love himself. And he says these crazy things. Over in 1 Timothy in this letter, he writes in the very fifth, fifth verse, that first chapter, he says, hey, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to write about. I'm going to write these five little chapters here, but it's all about one word. He says, love. And then the Apostle Paul over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, he begins this, this whole chapter with this one little line, follow the way of love. Just follow it. Just all you got to do, follow it. And then he ends uh, 1 Corinthians 13 by saying this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Now, the philosophers for history have been trying to answer this question, what is the meaning of life? Uh, there were decades ago, there was a philosopher named uh, Hugh Moorhead, and he got this idea, I'm going to send a letter out to the most brilliant minds in the world, philosophers, deep thinkers, and I'm going to ask them this question and collect their answers, and I'm going to put in the book the meaning of life. And so he does. He sends it out all over 250 great, brilliant, intelligent minds. All these great creators, scientists, and philosophers. And they all responded. And some responded with an answer. And after they gave him an answer, they said, but to tell you the truth, I really don't know. Some of these brilliant minds sent a letter back and saying, I don't have a clue. When you figure it out, would you please write us and let us know? But based on what I just read to you from the Word, and based on one more little verse in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, do everything in love. 
If I was to ask you the purpose of life, why you exist, and you were to give it an answer in one word, I'm going to ask you the question, and if you know the answer with one voice out loud, I want to hear you say it in the house. Tell me, what is the purpose of life? What is it? Love. In fact, number one in your notes, it is to love well. Love well. It's like Jesus, God looks down upon us and says, you know what, guys? I'm going to make this simple. It's not rocket science. Some of you are making your life so complicated and so more difficult and challenging. You really do, you know. You make it harder than it really is. <laughs> I don't know why you do that. And your little old brains, I've given you these big, huge minds, gigantic brains that are so intelligent and smart, but I know you're only going to use a small part of it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you one word that's an answer to almost every question in your life that really matters. Like, what makes, what makes a church great? Love. What does the devil hate? Love. What are you hoping for in a date? Love. What do you want from your mate? Love. What does a child growing up just hunger and waits for? What is it? This book, this book is all about love. Your life, period, it's about love. This church exists. It's about love. Life is about the power of love. And we begin this weekend a study, a six-week study, on the most important topic the world has ever considered. And I will tell you, this topic is so important. I will tell you, it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death for our nation. It's a matter of life and death for some of your marriages and for some of your families. It's a matter of life and death for many churches, including this one. And the world won't tell you that. Your financial broker is not going to give you. This is the answer. Wall Street. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, you name it, they're not going to give you this answer. Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Law Enforcement Matters. They're not going to give you this answer. Everybody has a different answer. But the Bible only has one. And the answer is to love and to love well. Period. And so we begin this week in a study, six weeks, of the most historic words ever written 2,000 years ago about this subject, first letter of Paul to the Corinthian church in this little thing called the 13th chapter. And I will tell you before we even get into it, the context of this chapter matters. 
Uh, some of you have read this, heard this chapter many times, and you have no clue really what it means. You don't. You think it's some hallmark, literal, manic thing that you go and hear at a wedding. How many have heard this chapter read at a wedding? At any time, I want to see a show of hands in the house, right? If you're online, just chop in, yell, I have, just kind of me, 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 I've seen it. Right, you all have, right? I've read it many times at a wedding. Probably a couple getting married are the two people in the world who don't need to hear this verse when they're getting married. They kind of got it figured out at that time. The people who need to hear it have been married four years, five years, six years, ten years. But Paul didn't even write it for that purpose. You've got to know the context. The context is over in chapter 12, there are a group of people here who are just prideful, in conflict, quarreling back and forth about little nitpicky issues. All this sort of conflict stuff going on, quarreling, fighting. And then you read over 1 Corinthians 14, the exact same stuff is going on. Now, I want to tell you what didn't happen. The Apostle Paul's not writing this letter, and he's writing, he's not calling out all this stuff going on in, in 10, 11, and 12, and he calls it out in 14. But he thinks, you know what, in 13, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wedge in here. I'm just going to put in, just kind of drop it in, this cute little passage that pastors can read at weddings some 2,000 years later. That's not why he wrote it. He wrote it to a bunch of messy, complicated people. who are creating a mess and complicating their lives and the lives of the people around them. He wrote it to a bunch of people who were self-seeking, prideful, complainers, Judging that leader against that leader, I'll follow him, I'll follow him. The who's the best, who's the worst? Hey, they did that, they did that. Pick, 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 pointing out all everybody's mistakes, everybody's wrong, all that sort of stuff. Messy people who are making it messy for everybody else, and he speaks right in the middle of it. And it begins like this. Hey, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only resounding gong, I'm a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. I can have it all, and I can know it all, but you know this past week in the entertainment industry, uh, people were acknowledging the death of Regis, uh, the great famous Regis and Kathy Lee, right? Uh, Regis and Kelly in the morning, and who wants to be a millionaire, and all this kind of stopping to kind of record, because everybody kind of loved Regis. Oh, love Re he was a happy-go-lucky love Regis. And people are asking to post you some of your favorite things about Regis. And so, who wants to be a millionaire? Anybody watched Who Wants to Be a Millionaire years ago? I love that show. I, just, I never could advance very far. I was a loser, but I, but I would love to watch that show. And so, they picked out some of the, the top highlights of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. 
And it's when Regis was, had this guy on the show that was one question away from winning the million bucks. And he had not used one lifeline at all. Not one at all. And he gets to the final question for a million bucks. And here's what happens. Which of these U.S. presidents appeared on the television series Laugh-In? Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford. Um, <laughs> I'd like to call my parents right now. Sure. Use my lifeline, call my parents. What are their names? Oh, um, my father. I'll talk to my father. Uh, hi, Dad. Hi. Uh, I don't really need your help, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to win the million dollars. <laughs> Because the U.S. president appeared on Laughing is Richard Nixon. That's my final answer. Well, my gosh. What can I say except, Debbie, you're going to Paris, and this is the final answer heard all around the world. He's won a million dollars. And the Apostle Paul will say, John Carpenter, you can know it all, buddy. You don't have to ask anyone for any help, have any answers to any questions. You can have a million bucks, they can send you to Paris. But if you don't have love, and you don't know how to love, in your notes, everything minus love equals nothing. Love plus nothing equals everything. Over the course of the next six weeks, here's my ask of you. I'm asking you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 every single day. Some of you are going to say, well, I'm going to get bored with that, Pastor. I've been reading Romans 8 almost every day for the past year. I never got bored. I lived in it till it was living in me. And I'm asking you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 till you're just not living in it, but it's living in you. And I'm going to challenge you to even maybe memorize it. And I want you to notice what happens in your life and around you because you're living in this chapter for six weeks. And to see how different you are and your family is and even the people at work and the people around you, just, just see what happens. Now, you'll notice here in this text, Paul kind of lays it out, this kind of beginning point, first three verses, and then 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way through 13, he kind of points out how to love, what it means to love, how to do it, what it's not, what it is, and we're going to unpack that through the rest of these next five weeks. We're going to unpack this. But this morning, I want to stop and tell you a short story, as short as I can make it, cliff note version, of a love story to help understand a deeper understanding of love. And I want you to know your life, God intends your life to be a love story. And it's a love story whether you want it to be or not. Your life is a love story. So I want to tell you a short story about a couple 
Uh, you can find it in the book if you want to read more and understand more. If you kind of tell, gosh, I want to know more about that. Uh, it's a book called uh, My Lovely Wife, My Lovely Wife in the Psych Ward. What a title, right? Uh, by Mark Kolach. And uh, their, their life began as a married couple, like a Hollywood movie. Uh, they both started off at the same university, Georgetown University, at the same time. She's from Italy. Uh, he's an American guy, kid. Uh, she is brilliant. They happen to be in the same dorm, but on different floors. Guys on one floor, girls on another floor. And in the first hour, Mark uh, hears about all of these people talk about this girl, how beautiful she is, and Italian, and, and uh, she has a brilliant, smart and everything. And he's, he falls in love, he says, before I ever met her. And then he sees her, he's so intimidated. You know what, guys, you don't remember that guy's back in the day when you, you were just so intimidated, you could barely speak, and he was so intimidated, he said, I can never talk to her. It just so happened there was a movie back then called uh, It's a Beautiful Life, or Life is Wonderful, Your Life is Wonderful. And what they found out was in this movie, there was the, the main character who had a love interest, he was trying to court her, and she was Italian. Now, I am not Italian. So please do not condemn me if you're Italian for what I'm about to say in Italian because I know it's not it's going to sound Texan because I am Texan, okay? So just, I'm not Italian. But the love interest, he kind of wooed this girl over by every time he saw her, he would say, Buongiorno, Principessa. Buongiorno, Principessa, which means, hello, good morning, beautiful princess. And so that's how the guy won in the movie. So he thought, every time I see this girl, he's never met her, I'm just going to say, hey, buongiorno, principessa, buongiorno. And so he does. And instead of looking at him and thinking, man, what a weirdo, she actually goes, hi. And so every time, buongiorno, principessa. And eventually over time, they actually went up at the same party and they meet each other. And they hit it off. And by touch, Christmas comes around, believe it or not, these two are talking about getting married. Only four months in the same college. And they're talking about getting married and how many kids they're going to have and where they're going to live and all this sort of stuff and everything. And so they get married. Uh, two weeks after they graduate from college, they get married. And she's Roman Catholic. He wanted to say his own vows. The church wouldn't let him. So the night before, he wrote his vow. Now, I want you to notice in this story how his love changes over time. And this is what he tells her. He writes her a letter the night before. I pledge to you, Julia, that I will make all the boring moments of our marriage fun. You know, there are some boring moments in marriage. Buying groceries, preparing a meal, washing the dishes, paying the bills. I'm going to make every one of those moments as fun as possible. That's how I'm going to show my love for you. He was 23. Very naive in his understanding of love. But boy, he did it. He, they were doing it. And for three years, it was happening. And then after three years, she applies for this job, her dream job. She gets it. And she had been a, a 4.0 person since kindergarten. Brilliant, brilliant. Everybody wanted to hire her. It's a great job. I mean, what an opportunity. Comes home from the job the very first day of work, and he asks her, hey, how was your day at work? And she said, mm, I guess it was okay. And he went, trouble. Because it was never just okay. She was very secure, very confident, and that was the beginning of a spiral. Because days later, she's sitting at her computer doing email, and all of a sudden she just stops and just starts staring at it. She comes home, they're eating the meal, she doesn't eat, he, she's just picking at her food. The next thing you know, she's tossing and turning in her sleep, she can't sleep. 
The next thing you know, she's pacing in the middle of the night, walking all night long. Husband wakes up, what are you doing? I'm talking to God. Really? What did God say? God said that it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. But he goes, she, God talked to her out loud? Concerning. A few nights later, wakes up, she's walking again. What are you doing? I'm talking to the devil. And the devil told me, it's not going to be okay that I should get as far away from you as possible. And in that moment, his love grew from fun to protection because he wrapped his arms around her, took her to the ER right then. Quickly, she was diagnosed, put up in the psych ward. Psychotic, delusional. Her mind was just all over the place. Every day, he would call up there or go up there to find. He was researching, trying. He was going to fight and protect his wife from whatever was going on. 23 days later, she is released. She's so heavily medicated. She's no longer psychotic, but she's so depressed, and all she wants to do is kill herself. And so, Mark, he quits his job. He signs them up for yoga, for art classes. They walk the dog, listen to music, and she's talking. All she talks about is, I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to kill myself. And he's like a fire extinguisher. No, you're not. No, you're not. I mean, he's just fighting, fighting, fighting to keep her alive. Protective love. And then he says he has an epiphany. And he says it was exhausting. I say it was the Holy Spirit. Because he said he was so tired. One time when she was talking about killing herself, he could do nothing and he just listened to her. He didn't try to fix it. And she just talked about how she was going to do it and where she was going to do it and how miserable she was. And when they all got finished with the conversation, she said, you know what, Mark? Uh, that's the best I've ever felt after our conversation. And he goes, I didn't say a word. He grew from fun love to protective love, to a listening love that is just fully present, that doesn't say a word, that is so in touch with what the other person is thinking and feeling, they can think it and feel it themselves as if it's happening in their own life. It was growing in love. It takes a year for her to ever really get better, almost a whole year. They decide to try to have kids. They have a kid two and a half weeks later, something like that. She has another episode, psychotic. She's back in the psych ward again. She's there for a few days. Eventually gets out. Doesn't have another episode for two and a half years, almost three years. Have another kid. Did not have another episode then. But she was diagnosed as bipolar, which means forever. And look what Mark says about it right here. When my wife was hospitalized, I've never felt so scared in my whole life. When she was suicidal, I've never felt so much anxiety. When she was heavily medicated, I've never felt so alone. But when she got better, when she came out of that darkness, and we stood there together, blinking in the sunlight, and realizing we made it, and we made it together, and in fact, we made it because of each other. I mean, that's the greatest feeling you can have in life. Nothing compares. 
the victory only tasted sweet because of how hard it was to achieve. So commitment, it's really shown me the greatest gift and joy in life is in loving someone and being loved in return, no matter what. Thank you. Fun, protect, to listen, to no matter what. If you used to see this family's picture on Instagram or Facebook, you would look at them and go, man, what a cute little family. Man, they got such a wonderful life. Like many of you here, people see your little family, your little group on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, whatever you, wherever you do that thing, they go, oh, I wish my family, oh, that's so, that's so good. But here's what I know. Online or in the house, here's what I know. Every family you see is fighting a battle that you can't see. Every family. And every family, either you or someone you know that you love, is fighting some sort of mental or emotional health issue. Depression, anxiety, addiction, autism, Bipolar, deep, 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 dark depression, deep, deep shame. And all you do or do is hide and let nobody know about it. And here's what I want you to know about this place called Pathway, whether you're from afar or you're on the house. We want to destigmatize. All mental and emotional health and sin health issues that people are so shamed and are so hiding because we believe the power of love, God's love is so great in fellowship, in worship, growing together through treatment and medicine and therapy that the power of love, you can experience healing in your family. You can. That is the power of the love of God. To the point there in your notes that real love, real love is willing to suffer deeply. To come along some side and to even suffer and to stick with them. Any parents, grandparents, you know what it means to suffer when you see your kids, your grandkids struggle or having a hard time and you just suffer and you say, I'm not quitting with them. Yesterday, I, Dallas and I spent the morning at Lake Louisville, not on the lake fishing, not on the lake uh, swimming or jet skiing, but we were there with our son and his wife who are still reeling from the death of her brother of 32 years of age who drowned there just a year ago. And all we could do was be present and just suffer with them as they work through their grief and
any parent understands that kind of love. And here's what I want to know the truth about this, all this mental health and emotional health stuff and sin stuff. Love does not always paint a happy little go, and they all lived happily ever, ever after ending, does it? Love is not just this perfect little little thing that you read a fairy tale book, and uh, that's, that's not the way the picture love paints. But here's what I know about this book. It paints a picture of one day that the love of God will redeem all suffering. That the love of God at the cross of Jesus Christ, his suffering, our suffering, and his love, he redeems it and can do something good with it. That is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. That whether it be at the grave or in the psych ward or whatever's going on in your family, that his love can redeem it through his suffering on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him, whoever receives it from him, you will not perish on this side of heaven or on the other side. You won't but you can live. It's a matter of life and death, this thing called love. And so, church family, Pathway Church, I'm calling you out. Last weekend, I asked you to be a relentless encourager. I'm upping it up a notch. I'm asking you to make the purpose of your life just to learn how to love I mean really love, not just with your mouth. I mean like the Bible teaches, really love, especially people that are not like you, who don't think like you, who don't believe like you, who don't practice life like you, to really learn how to love them. And you go, well, where do I start? Well, one idea would be prayer. God, help me to become a more loving person. I mean, just every day. Start your day. God, help me to become a more loving person. Or some of you might, go, might say, oh, I'm going to do what Jesus said. He said to go love your enemies. So some of you, okay, I'm going to walk out of here, and I'm going to go find the most obnoxious, annoying, negative, degrading sort of person I can find who I just really can't stand. I'm going to knock on their door and call them. Just kidding. Don't do that. Some of you aren't ready for that. That's just going to make a bigger mess, okay? Just, just don't do that. That's graduate-level love. Some of, you are not, some of you are trying to do that, and I'm telling you, you're just not ready for that. You've got to start at the very beginning. And here's where you start. Jesus called John his beloved. And I think it's interesting. John writes about love in this book more than any other disciple, more than any other writer. John talks about love. And I can just picture John, Jesus saying, hey, John. Hey, John, hey, John, hey, I love you, John. Hey, John, you and I are buds. You're my dude. I love you. And I can imagine John going, man, Jesus, there's a bunch of other guys around. Shh, keep it down. You know, kind of weird, you know, <laughs> telling me you love me. Hey, any of you felt uncomfortable when somebody tried to tell you they love you? You kind of went, keep it down, dude. I mean, because you just, it just feels awkward. Some of us, can I just tell the truth? Some of you are terrible at receiving love. And you can't give what you have not received. You can't do it. That's why you're so up in a knot. It really is that simple. So here's what I've learned. Here's what's helped me to figure out how to receive the love of God. And we're almost there. Stay with me. Is that years ago, when our boys, which are now men, were little boys, 
and go tuck them in at bed at night. Remember the distinct parents, you go tuck your kids in at beds and everything like that. And uh, during the daytime, they're rambunctious, really annoying, into everything, active, all doing all, turn all this stuff up, made in the image of their mother, right? <laughs> but at nighttime, they're made in my image, right? Yeah. Still, calm, quiet. And you can't imagine being mad at them because they're just so, then they wake up. <laughs> While they're asleep, you go, oh. I'm doing this now with my granddaughter, Lennox. She spends the night, and she'll come over, and I get to lay by her, and I get her asleep. And after she's asleep and the house is quiet, I just lay there and I look at her. And there's only one thing that I feel. The love is so overwhelming. It just, I just... I, I just lay there for hours just looking, looking, looking. And God, you allow me to be in her life and her to love me and me to love her. And I go, hold it. That's how God feels when he looks at me. That even though I wake up and I'm a hellion on wheels, I'm just a big accident waiting to happen, that God overlooks at me and all I can do is receive it, receive it, receive You can't earn it. You can't buy it. All you can do is receive it, receive, 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 receive. And until you receive it, you can't give it. That's why some of you struggle so much in loving other people. You've never fully, completely, totally received the power of God's love in your life because it is transforming. It changes everything. Now, I'm going to give you some homework, but I'm not going to give it to you right now. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it on Facebook sometime this week because I don't have time here. I, I, I recognize the time. I told you all when you came back, that I might have a two-hour message. <laughs> I did say that, didn't I? I did. So I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to skip the homework. I'll post it online or I'll tell you online. But I'm gonna, here, here's how we're going to close. You have a choice to make. And I will tell you, heaven and hell is not just about a destination. Heaven and hell is about transformation because some of you are living in hell right now. And you have other people around you living in hell. And we live in a nation that's kind of gone to hell. You have a choice to make. And here's the fourth choice. You can choose to be the person who is outrageously awesome at giving and receiving love. You can be the person that when people come to you, they just naturally feel better because they're around you. You can be the person that people come to at work because when they're grieving, you just kind of help them grieve. And when they're celebrating, when they win, you help them celebrate. And when they're confused, you help them solve stuff. You can be the person in your home who's real, just the real deal, right? That when you're wrong, you just admit it and say, you know what, I messed up, I'm sorry. Not getting defensive. And when you're right, you're not going to rub it in their face and say, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. You can be the person when you're hurt that just forgives 
and moves on and keeps no record of wrongs. You can be the person who just does little things around the house just to make life easier on the other people around you, just because. You can be the person that confronts someone with the truth. You can confront them, but still stay connected to them. Now, to do that, you don't have to make a lot of money. You might live in a dinky little house. You may barely have one car, short resume. Nobody knows who you are, no title, not be famous. The only thing you have that you can do, the only thing you really have is this other-focused, God-centered, joy-producing, hope-giving, life-giving love that you pour onto somebody else's life. That's all you got. That's one choice. Or you can choose to be the person that's kind of known as the jerk, and it's the jerk that's proud of being a jerk. Always promoting themselves, looking out for number one, prideful and paying somebody back who hurt them. Their spouses become exes. Their children leave and don't come home. Their friends have nothing to do with them. Their colleagues don't trust them. They're selfish, prideful, arrogant, materialistic, narcissistic, ego-driven maniacs. Oh, they're brilliant, wealthy, have lots of stuff, but they fail in one area. It's called love. And you get to choose. And if you're going to choose, which one is it going to be? Jesus would say, just choose to love, would you? And John would say, and Peter would say, and Paul would say, and Mary would say, and Martha would say, and Ruth would say. I believe this last point to the core of my being. No one who succeeds at love fails at life. And no one who fails at love succeeds at life. Because life is about the power of love. Oh, God of love, God of hope. The one who speaks to us, buongiorno, principessa. Good morning, beautiful prince. Good morning, beautiful princess. I love you. I pray for my friends, God. I, I pray for all those this morning, God, who just hunger to know that they are loved, who 
have not been raised in a family, God, to really experience the, just the fullness and the greatness and the completeness of what love really is, God. I pray for those, God, who have so much love to give, but there's nobody there to receive it, God. They want to have someone to love. They want to give it, but there's nobody that will really fully receive what they have to offer, God. I pray for those who are suffering right now, who are suffering along family and friends, who are just really having mental and emotional health issues, and there they stand just longing to help them know that they are loved, and they just suffer with them. And I just want to speak to the camera for a second, this last one last time. I want to speak to the camera, and I want to speak to anyone who's at home right now, or you're in the hospital room, and you're all by yourself. You're all alone, and you feel like nobody loves you, and you're thinking about taking your life. You feel so depressed. You feel like you're a failure. You feel like you're a loser, and there's no hope. Please look right me right in the eyes. You're not watching right now, whether it's 2 o'clock in the morning or real time right now. It's not by accident. You're here because God wants you to hear this. God loves you. And there's a human being in this world that loves you. Don't take your life. Your life matters. And God wants to bring you hope and healing. So just reach out. Just reach out. Just receive. Receive God's love. Receive God's love. Just right there. Just receive it. Receive it. For God so loved the world that he gave. Receive it. And know the power of love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Online. Can't wait to connect with you later on in the house. If you're in the crossing, I'd love to meet you. Thanks for coming.